you'll turn to uh, Psalm 55. Our sermon passage comes from Psalm 55 today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible and would like to use one, there is one provided for you there somewhere around you. Um, in front of the in front of you on the racks underneath the seats, the little black books are the Bibles. Uh, the brown ones are the hymnals. And so don't get one of those. You might be distracted and I don't need any help. Uh, with you being distracted. So, but it's on page 475 of the, of the uh, church Bible if you need to use that. While you're turning there, let me just say um, what I didn't say earlier, but I can't say often enough. Those who stood, who did make that uh, walk down the street, and those who came maybe in the years just following that, um, I am grateful for you all. And not only has uh, the Lord proven his steadfast love for our church, but you all have proven your steadfast love for one another. And um, we wouldn't continue to have a story if it weren't for people who loved one another well enough to stay, to remain. And I'm, I'm just very thankful for those who have, who have lived that uh, long life of this church. Bless you in the name of Jesus. But we're continuing our series uh, through the Psalms. It's called Summer Psalms for lack of creativity on my part. Um, but we're going to get right into the text this morning. And so I'm going to ask if you are able to stand uh, just to give special attention, attentiveness to what God has to say to us in his word from Psalm 55. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Listen to the word of God from Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble on me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O oh Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. There is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, a familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, 
yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we come as always with the gratitude for your word and the belief that you have something to say to us in it always. It is living and active and powerful, and we need that truth in life to speak to our hearts. You know all the needs that we bring today, and we pray you administer to them as only you can by your spirit. So Lord, would you speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and move me out of the way and use my voice as an instrument for you to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're uh, visiting with us, as I said, we're spending the summer going through a selection of psalms. And among other things, this series serves to encourage us to, to recover the psalms in our uh, prayer and in our singing, um, both personally and corporately, because we're being reminded that the, the, the psalms speak to the full range of human experience, all the thought and emotion, everything we think and feel. Uh, whatever situation or circumstance we might be experiencing at any given time, there's a psalm that fits the occasion and a psalm that, that ministers to us exactly where we are and how we need it. And one of those occasions is when you want to fly away from your problems. That's a title I've given to today's sermon and a title you may have noticed that's drawn from verse 6 that we just read where David, the psalmist, says... Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. And we know what it feels like. If we've lived any length of time, we know what it feels like to be so overwhelmed by the stress, by the pressure, by the adversity of one sort or another that we, we don't know how or how long we can continue to deal with it. We know that feeling. And you know you have to face it again tomorrow. You just don't know how you're going to face it again tomorrow. The weight of it just so heavy. There might be so many demands on you and expectations of other people. You don't know how you can possibly meet them all. It might be that things are such a mess at work, maybe even a mess of your own making, but maybe not. But, but such a mess, you're working all that you can work, and you feel like you're not putting a dent in it. You don't even see what a solution looks like. You can't even really imagine that anymore, just grinding at it. Or it may be that financially, you're in a ditch. You're trying to keep up the appearance that everything is okay because either you don't want other people to know or you don't want your, your, your family to be stressed out with you. But things are so not okay. You are so overwhelmed by 
the distress of that situation. And in any of those or some other, we may find David says it better than we could say ourselves, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. It's interesting to consider how universal this experience is to one degree or another. In fact, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of the movie Forrest Gump. Uh, many of you saw that, and there's a scene where Forrest, as a little boy, and his friend Jenny, uh, he goes over to her house. She's living in an abusive home and finally is going to flee that situation. And they go out into a cornfield, and she uh, kneels down and says, Forrest, pray with me. And she prays, Dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away from here. I don't know if the screenwriter for uh, Forrest Gump read Psalm 55, if he knew what David said, but it expressed exactly that same thing, that desperate situation. God, make me a bird that I can fly away. Some of you may have just gone on vacation on one of those occasions where you really, really need a vacation. Maybe it's a work situation like I just described. You thought you might not even be able to get a vacation, but you got away and... And wherever you were, the thought entered your mind, wouldn't it be nice to live here? I wonder what houses cost around here. Let me just look it up, find out. You know, you just want to send a telegram back home to a realtor, sell the house, sell the furniture, sell the pets, you know, to a good home, whatever, you know, but just, just like, I'll give you, a, I'll give you an account to wire the money to, but I don't even, I'm not even going to give you a forwarding address because, you know, there, there's something in us sometimes that just wishes we could leave all the stresses back home. And, and, uh, another example of this, uh, which I find encouraging if, if for no other reason than the misery loves company. But when you know, uh, great men and women before have experienced some of the same things we experienced. George Washington expressed a hint of this same feeling in a letter he wrote in the middle of the American Revolution. He wrote a letter to Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Reed, dated January 14th, 1776. And in it, he described how woefully insufficient in number their army was, the Continental Army, how woefully under-resourced they were. They didn't have the arms that they need, needed. Uh, they at times couldn't even pay the soldiers, and yet they're trying to recruit more because their number is woefully insufficient already. And he's describing the state of affairs, in fact, he would go on to say, essentially, if we make it through, I will know it's by the hand of providence that it was so, that he has just kept the enemy's eyes blinded to the fact that we're in such bad shape. That's a paraphrase of what he went on to say. But it was, that was how bad it was. And he said in that letter, I have often thought how much happier I should have been if instead of accepting a command under such circumstances, I had taken my musket on my shoulder and entered the ranks. Or if I could have justified the measure to posterity, that is uh, children, grandchildren, and descendants after him, if I could justify the measure to pros posterity and my own conscience had retired to the back country and lived in a wigwam. <laughs> here's the great 
statesman, general, president, George Washington, the picture of, of America, right? The great leader we learn about as kids that we might aspire to be like and so forth. That in this moment to one of his own officers, he says, I've often thought how much happier I would be if I could retire to the back country and live in a wigwam. You know, there are times I have wondered, I would have been his wigwam neighbor. <laughs> you know, I had that same feeling before. But of course, George Washington couldn't justify it to his posterity or to his own conscience. He had a sense of duty that compelled him to answer the call in the first place and to continue in it. And he did, and of course the rest is American history. As independence would be declared about six months after that and the war won seven years later. But similarly, you and I cannot fly away from our problems. Even though we wish we could. We can't justify it to our posterity either. We can't justify it to our own conscience for whatever reasons we can't do it. And instead, we might do something like what David did here in Psalm 55. He sets an example for us and gives some instruction to us that in those times, we should number one, cry out to God fervently. Number two, cast your burden on God entirely. And number three, trust God completely. So I'll take it briefly under those lines there first to cry out to God fervently. He opens with this fervent cry in verses one and two. And as I've said so far so many times, I, this is one of the things I love about the Psalms, how raw they are. Give ear to my cry, my prayer, O God, and hide not your face from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Verses 16 and 17, he's comes back to something similar. I call to God and the Lord will save me evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. You know, twice there, David says he moans to God. It is rendered differently in other translations. The ESV is the only one that uses that word. I think the, the New American Standard may say murmur. Um... And I can't remember what it is in, in other translations. But, you know, you may be like me, that moaning was one of those things as a kid you were told to stop doing. Right? Moaning was right up there with whining and belly aching. You know, stop whining and quit your belly aching. And don't moan. Stop that moaning. But again, it's one, one of the things... That's so wonderful about Psalms because we we bring sometimes our that kind of sense of of propriety of the, of the manners and customs we've learned or whatever and think that God regards us or receives it that same way. Now he's moan to God, utter your complaint and moan to God. As David says, we can be sure in verse seventeen that he hears our voice. You pray fervently to God. Notice also, though, his fervency is marked by this, by a certain persistence. In verse 17 there, it says, evening and morning and at noon, I pray and cry aloud. 
or I utter my complaint and moan. Evening and morning and at noon I pray. I think this is probably a little glimpse of what was customary in uh, not only ancient Israel, in um, the Jewish custom of the New Testament era, in the early uh, church, in the book of Acts, as well as in the uh, decades and centuries that followed. That is, that there were regular scheduled hours of prayer. Here it's evening and morning and at noon. So we read things like, for example, so that you um, are reminded of this, when, when, when Peter and John went up to the temple and they encountered the lame beggar and healed him, and he jumped up and he was walking and leaping and praising God, they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. There are other references when he's uh, praying on the rooftop and he goes to visit Cornelius to, to praying at the sixth and the ninth hour and so forth. There are several references um, to that throughout the scripture that suggest it was a scheduled time of prayer. And that, parenthetically, might be commended to us as a discipline to adopt ourselves. There's something about us in the modern contemporary church that kind of recoils against that. Um, but, but scheduled times of prayer where our day is built around our prayer schedule rather than prayer being fit in, if it fits, to our busy day. Again, that's something to put in your hip pocket and think about later. But regardless of the schedule itself, the point here is bring the matter to God persistently. As often as you pray, pray about that thing that you want to fly away from. And no need to think necessarily that just you told God once and if he wants to do something about it, he'll do something about it. It's hard to know sometimes when have I prayed enough, but you might consider that if you still feel burdened to pray about something, keep on praying about it. That maybe what he wants you to do is persist in prayer until he's answered the matter or until he's just released you from feeling like you've turned it over to him sufficiently. But cry out to God fervently. Number two, cast the burden on God entirely. Verse 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. This for the student of the Bible, probably calls to mind a verse from First uh, Peter, actually two verses, First Peter chapter five, verses six and seven, which say, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you." You you may have that verse memorized, probably in a different translation, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, on the, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. But cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. The word burden is sometimes used in the Bible to refer to the load that a donkey or an ox carries. And it's helpful imagery to us to think about a burden in that way as, as what you're carrying on your back. I mean, if you imagine backpacking with a heavy load, whatever you would consider heavy, 25, 30, 35, 40 pounds, backpacking up and down hills and mountains, and you twist your ankle badly to the point that 
you're going to have to limp back to wherever you're going only because there's nobody to carry you out, but that you have to take all your gear and give it to somebody else. Maybe you've got a big enough team that can share it or whatever. If not, maybe you've got somebody with strong enough legs that can carry it all. But, but all of the burden comes off of your back and onto somebody else. That is casting your burden on the Lord entirely, entirely. And then having done that, number three, trust in God completely. I'd say two and three are very much interrelated because it is easier to talk about casting your burden on the Lord than it is to actually do it, or at least casting it on him entirely. But then trust God completely with it. Look at the very last phrase of the psalm, the end of verse 23. It ends, but I will trust in you. All of these things I've just said, I utter my complaint and I moan, oh, if I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. My, my evil, wicked enemy, wretched men that they are. In fact, David's situation is made worse, I don't know if you picked up on it, but by betrayal. Did you catch that? It's not, a, it's not an enemy, he says in verse 12, who taunts me. Then I compare it, I could bear it. But as you, verse 13, a man my equal, my companion, a familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together in God's house. We walked in the throng. This is, this is one of the close ones. This was one you didn't think he would ever turn his back on you. David's situation is made worse not only by the circumstances themselves, but some of the people close to him that have joined themselves as adversaries. And he says all of that, but I will trust in you. And in and, and a few places here, he appeals to the justice of God, right? Because he's calling out their wickedness. Uh, verses 9 and 10, I won't read all of these, but their violence and strife, iniquity and trouble, oppression and fraud. Verse 15, evil is in their dwelling place. And then here in verses 22 and 23 at the conclusion, he'll not allow the righteous to be moved, but men of blood and treachery will receive their due penalty. He's calling upon the justice of God. But then, he says, but I will trust in you. God, you are just. You're just and you will do what is right and best. But I will trust in you. Completely. Now, this is where it gets hard, isn't it? Because when we give our burdens to God, it can't be like when you go drop your child off for somebody else to take care of them for the day. You know, your toddler or something like that, and you drop them off. You said, thank you so much for watching him today. Now, he, uh, he just ate. He's going to need to have a snack at this time and lunch um, at that time and another snack here, but I have to nap right after lunch. By the way, he needs a diaper change. And um, I let, packed a snack for him, but if you want to feed him something else, that's fine. Just be sure you don't give him any added sugar or uh, gluten, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. In other words, you, you, you drop your child off grateful 
for the help and yet with some instructions. Now that's appropriate to do, by the way, and necessary for you to do if you're dropping your child off. Uh, Please do it not only at their house, but also in the nursery here. If there are important things, their caretakers need to know. But listen, God does not need your instructions or mine on what to do with your burden. And, and so this is, what, this is where it gets hard, right? To cast the burden on him entirely and then to trust him completely. He doesn't need our instructions. We have to trust that not only is God able to carry our burdens, but he's infinitely wise to know what is best to do with them. God is not only able to carry your burden, but he is infinitely wise to know what is best to do with it. However that matter might be answered and however he might lead you through it and out of it, he can be trusted completely and he must be. And there may be some here that, that right now you are in that kind of uh, situation. I, I trust most everybody here has been in a place like that at sometime in the past, probably more than once. But some may be there right now and you, you, you know you need to roll that burden over onto God this morning. And so as we conclude here and head toward the Lord's Supper at the, at the, the table of the Lord, uh, let's do that in, in prayer. Just bring before him, lay before him um, those things that need to be cast on him. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you again for the psalm, the psalms, all of them, and how they say so much of what we feel at different times. Lord, I know there are those here today who wish they could fly away from their problems today. Lord, we know the truth is wherever we would fly to, there are problems there too. And we've learned that. Lord, there may be even those who are on vacation, even right now, they've come to vacation at the beach. With great stress, they've left behind at home, wishing they could just leave it and it would stay right there. And yet, Lord, that is not the place to leave it and we know that we cannot flee it but we are encouraged here, commanded even, to cast it onto you. So Lord, we do that right now as those cares and anxieties and burdens are brought to mind. Lord, we just roll them off of our back because we're already walking with a limp as it were. We roll them off of our back and onto you thankful, Lord, that you don't feel the weight of that one bit. It does not add any distress to you to carry our extra burden. Rather, it delights you to do so. Lord, would you just by your spirit 
show people whatever hooks there might be in their hearts that would keep them from from trusting you completely with it or even knowing how to do that. We surrender all of that to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And of course, part of the the good news of the gospel is that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. In cases like what uh, David describes here in the psalm, um, in Psalm 55 and throughout the Psalms, but ultimately it points us to the fact that we could not carry the burden of our own sin. We couldn't carry the burden of trying to obtain righteousness on our own, that it was cast upon Jesus as Isaiah 53, 5 says, he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Upon him was the chastisement of our peace. The chastening that brought us well-being was upon him, cast upon him exactly where it belonged, the only place where it could be cast. And so Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light.